that's Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. I'm Meg Rowley. And on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, I welcome back to the program lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs, Eric Longenhagen. Eric and I discuss MLB's recent rule changes, questioning their necessity, the effects of those changes on player development, and how they will alter the aesthetics of baseball. We then turn our attention to the Houston Astros, whose list we've recently released, and all the many rumors that surround their approach to scouting and player development, before devoting some time to a consideration of Fangraphs' recent trip to the desert and all the many baseball games we watched while we were there. All of that is coming up, but first it is my obligation to tell you that Fangraphs memberships are now available at Fangraphs.com. For the monthly cost of one spring training churro, that's hard to say, you can support all the great work at Fangraphs, including Eric and Kylie McDaniel's prospect coverage, Craig Edwards' transaction analysis, and the baseball words of our six, count them six, new contributing writers. Very exciting stuff. You may also, for a slightly greater sum, purchase an ad-free membership and enjoy Fangraphs without banner ads, facilitating faster loading times. That bit of business being complete, I take you to my conversation with Eric Longenhagen, lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs, which begins right now. Hi, you're Eric. <laughs> I do this every time. I need a better intro. It's very awkward, my intros to people on this podcast. Yeah, isn't there? There's probably a better canned phrase than oh, "Hey, you. hey, you're you." Yes, this is the sound of my voice. Yeah. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Today was less. Today was a, a below average day. What happened in your below average day? This was just a bad spring training traffic day. They have been bad. It is spring break in a lot of places, and oh. so it's super duper bad right now. Yeah, I can't say that I was impressed with the traffic in the greater Phoenix area when the majority of the Fangraphs staff decamped yeah. to Arizona this past week. There's a lot of gnashing of teeth and whatnot. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, that's you were all there, you know, everyone was part <laughs> of the problem. Yes, I guess we were it's annoyed and part. Yeah, we're participating. Right. So but that is exactly the thing, right? Like Sabre happened and... It is spring break for a lot of folks, not just like here, you know, people here, it's spring break, Mm -hmm. the students and stuff. And so like they're going to games. Yeah. So today was just one of those days where it derailed things, but whatever. I got, you know, a Christian Robinson at bat. Mm. So it's fine. That happens. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. Baseball might be trying to derail things. This is my really great transition to us talking about rule changes. They've been very busy. Baseball's very busy. It's very concerned about its own um, well-being. And uh, we got agreement on a bunch of rule changes for 2019 and also for 2020. And uh, I thought we'd talk about those. I guess those are interesting. The first thing that I, that I think about right away is do is any of this necessary do you feel that any of this is really necessary it seems that the the motivation is to shorten games to some degree and eliminate dead action yeah. that is occurring within the game do you think that these are necessary changes or that so, a change in general is necessary yeah i don't but i also am conscious of the fact that like that you and I might not be the audience they're worried about. <laughs> yeah. You know, as as we will discuss when we talk about the 
the things that we uh, saw during the Fangraphs trip, like we spent a day where we went to four baseball games mm-hmm. in one day. So I think that uh, you and I are pretty sold on this sport as a good thing that we like a lot. And I don't want it to be the kind of thing where we get overly, you know, fussy about the tradition of the thing because baseball's changed a lot for a long time. And sometimes that stuff is good and useful and necessary. And sometimes it doesn't work out and we manage to course correct pretty quickly. Like, remember the six weeks we spent with the transfer rules in 2014? And then we were like, oh, this is really bad. We shouldn't yeah. do this again. This is very confusing to people and uh, is is making people not like the sport. So I think that like, if this if baseball remains nimble and can recognize when it makes some mistakes, I don't necessarily mind them trimming stuff. But yeah, like the they're cutting, you know, five seconds off commercial breaks and cutting mound visits again. So that seems like a you know, kind that of a fine. silly thing. But yeah, know. but a but a fine thing, right. right? It's like this is I don't know how necessary it is. I think the trade deadline stuff could be potentially impactful, reducing, sort of moving everything up and forcing teams to make decisions about how competitive they're going to be in any given moment, uh, in any given season. And doing that by the end of July is uh, not unappealing because, you know, hopefully it forces people to be a little more aggressive in their off-season acquisitions or their acquisitions at the deadline. I think that it is also like a sneaky move on the league's part to try to murder everyone who writes about baseball because now all of that action is going to get compressed into an even shorter time frame so i look forward to being tired in july but mm-hmm. i think whoever wins the home run derby is going to be excited about getting a million dollars but yeah like some of these sure some of these are interesting and some of them are like a basic time calculus like cut the innings from this to this mm-hmm. or the breaks between innings and then some of them might have actual impact on like the way teams behave Yep. And the way like baseball is played. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so the the trade deadline one is definitely the you know, the I guess the most prominent one. At least for twenty nineteen. Right, for twenty nineteen, yeah. The twenty twenty stuff is I suppose more impactful. But we'll have I'd like to say that we would have some idea of what some of them might do because some of them some of the twenty twenty proposed rule changes overlap with the stuff that the Atlantic League is going to be doing right now. Right. The one that stuck out to me is the three. Each pitcher must pitch until the end of an inning or to three consecutive batters. Right. Before they are removed. Right. I don't know. There seems to be more. There people are a little he- more heated over this. Like it's a little more polarizing on Twitter than I anticipated it would be. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I guess. My, yeah. Sure. Yeah. But but yeah. No. I think. <laughs> I think that you're right. I know that there was some concern around, and I don't know how um, convincing this will end up being and how big a problem it will end up being. So there are exceptions in the minimum batter space rules for pitchers for incapacitating injury or illness. So I hope we get one really good Oscar-worthy performance, just in terms of the things that I personally, as Meg, am rooting for. That would be on my list. A list of things. You know, the active roster provision stuff is interesting in terms of like how much. So they they will increase the current roster size to 26. They will eliminate the 40-man active roster limit in September so that clubs can only carry 28. 
I guess that we should probably go back and do an analysis of how close clubs ever get to the 40 person, oh. you know, for call-ups, but like this has potential impact for you. You're not going to see as many guys against big league pitching or big league hitters as you might otherwise, you know, so that'll be disappointing for folks to not get to see, you know, prospects come up for a cup of coffee or at least not to see as many of them come up. I wonder how often clubs actually ever get close to that 40 man number. Like I bet Madden's done it a couple times. Kapler seems like someone who would. Didn't he call up a bajillion dudes last year? And I'm yeah, I think that? there are certain teams who yeah, would just bring everybody up and yeah, it's a pretty full dugout for a lot of teams in September. Yeah. I think just to have the bodies, especially on the pitching staff, like almost everybody on the 40 man is going to come up. Yep. So, yeah, I, I think service time stuff is one of the reasons teams have neglected to call up folks on the 40 man. But, yeah, I do think that'll have an impact as well. I guess, you know, immediately the three, the three batter minimum for relievers to me is just really changes the way what a big league reliever looks like. Yeah. In a couple of years. I think it's. You know, three pitch relievers you know become much more important. There's just less chance for these goons with you know the fastball slider, <laughs> well below average command guys who just come in and muscle up with monster stuff. And I don't, I don't know if there, if there's a three batter limit if you if that guy is as comfortable a roster spot for like a lot of managers. Yeah. And yeah, so like change up relievers, guys who aren't. The platoon splits in your bullpen are going to be a bigger deal. Yeah. I suppose that they, I mean, I guess a lot of this just has to do with the confidence the manager has in the risk tolerance they have because it's to the end of an inning or three consecutive batters. So in theory, if you have a specialist you're really confident in, <laughs> you could you could bring him in and hope it ends the inning. And then if you're wrong, it could go disastrously wrong, I suppose. But I can't imagine that there are going to be many guys who justify themselves on a roster based on a high risk tolerance on the manager's part. Right. You're not going to develop pitchers that way. I mean, some of the crazier stuff that like the Rays have done and that the Astros did way, way back when, like when this part of my brain switched on and realized that, Oh yeah, this is a really interesting thing to do <laughs> is like when the Rays put Jose Alvarado at first base, like he comes in and faces a batter yeah. Goes to play first base while a righty comes in to face someone and then goes back to the mound to face a lefty like a sandwich, like it's a sandwich situation. Is that a pitching change? Like it's not, doesn't take quite, the guy's not coming out of the game. Right. There's just been, it's like a double switch really. Yeah. So does that constitute a pitching change? Like these are little corner case things that teams should be looking to explore in anticipation of this sort of, of, this sort of thing. Like yeah. I would just be hoarding who are, you know, who are the best, if you've got some of the, who's your best reliever who's got like pretty dramatic platoon splits, like who is your low slot breaking ball reliever who can't get opposite side of hitters out, like you should try to move that guy right now. Yeah. Yeah. So this stuff is interesting. But we won't, we, again, like the Atlanta League stuff, so much of the Atlanta League rules that, you know, you'd hope would be a dry run for some of this stuff they're going to cloud how much, like we really don't know what impact each of them has individually because right. there are so many. Well, and, you know, I think that it's a good laboratory, but like the very appreciable difference in talent is going to affect, going to, I would imagine, skew some of the results that you get on that stuff also. So it might pl end up playing kind of different 
with guys who actually play baseball better than your average indie ball guy, right? right? So the Atlantic rule changes are, let's see, they're going to have TrackMan assisted strike calling. So this is the robot umpire thing. This is not like a, you and I cannot have a fair and balanced discussion about this thing. Like you and I just are both not in favor of that. Yeah, I'm not, I'm out on robo, um, at least right now. I mean, I think most of the evidence has demonstrated that the tech isn't there. And so you're going to end up with an expectation of a perfectly called game because as soon as you introduce, you know, the perceived precision that that kind of technology is supposed to have, mm-hmm. the first time you have an edge case pitch or a pitch that like the radar loses track of, right? Because that'll happen. Right. You know, this stuff is never perfectly calibrated or entirely precise. And so people are going to be angrier about those errors than I think they typically are with, you know, a human ump. We're so mean to umpires. And they do a generally pretty okay job, actually, on something that is, like, impossibly difficult. It's amazing that the quality of the strike zone isn't worse than it is. And, you know, I just don't think that we have a great understanding. And I suppose that this is... You know, this is part of how you figure that stuff out. This is what we should be doing. But I just don't think that we have a totally great understanding of what the how this changes the balance between pitching and hitting. And, you know, this is a league that like failed to anticipate that teams were going to look for an extra out when a guy comes off the bag for a hot second, sliding hard in second. We like did not imagine that. And in hindsight, it's like, well, that's pretty obvious. We probably should have known that that's how replay is going to get used. And we just didn't. So I guess it's good that they're trying stuff out. But I think that that's a significant enough alteration to the fabric of baseball that you're probably well served to have that be the only change you make and watch how that plays. Right. Although I imagine that there are some Atlantic League pitchers who are thrilled that they're going to be on TrackMan all year. Yeah. And I agree with you about the tech reliability concern even yeah. when we when we were at the driveline pro day and rap soto was calling balls and strikes there were several cases where to everyone in the gym it just did not look that way and like people were skeptical of it so even you know, folks with driveline who use the tech so right so there is that aspect of it yes and then my concern is always then well number one it sucks for a lot of the catchers who are who have jobs right now because yeah. they frame. Yeah. That's completely undoes. Framing is no longer a thing. If the yeah. strike zone is entirely accurate, then that skill, little sleight of hand thing that you could argue is <laughs> not okay. One of my favorite things in baseball, you know. Right. It's like... <laughs> So that goes away. Uh, That's kind of a bummer for a certain subset of baseball fans. And then there's no – this won't exist in – like you cannot just implement this across amateur baseball. You can't implement it across all of professional baseball. And so now – I mean there are TrackMan units at at most minor league parks at this point, right? So maybe it's – maybe I'm underselling it on the pro side. But, like, there will be a transition between baseball that has this and that doesn't have it to one that has it. And I think there will be some individual players who get, like, lost in translation. So that makes my job a little harder. Yeah. To anticipate who will be better at one and not at the other, who might be misleading on one side as a as a prospect in some way, uh, as an amateur, because part of that's going to change. So uh, there's that part of it, too. and. So yeah, some of it is selfish. I neither of us is going to care to play devil's advocate, which is you know the no. the base level version of it. I guess is well, it's correct though, right? Right. It's the most correct. 
Right. Although I don't know that I don't know that the research is actually settled on that as a question in terms of how much marginal accuracy okay. you're gaining. But yeah, I get. I guess that's the the idea, right? Is that if you have it, you should have a good zone because why not? We we have a rule defined strike zone. We may as well have something that approximates that as closely as possible. I also worry about this is not a good reason to not make a change like that. But like I have written about this before. I am very nervous for umpires in terms of how fan behavior, how long fan behavior will take to catch up to the implementation of a robo zone because there still has to be a guy back there you're still going to have a home plate umpire it's not like you know you're going to have those folks phased out you still have to have someone to make close calls at the plate and to you know do all the things that umpires do you know sweep the 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 plate you gotta have a guy with a little broom back there um but like (laughs) fans are still gonna yell at umps as they deliver a call because it doesn't matter to fans whether the call is right or not, actually. They're going to sit, like, down the side and pretend that they know, like, where the corners of the zone are. They have no idea. They do not know. They will sit way up in the nosebleeds and not be able to visualize any of the zone at all and call a pitch low. Like, they're still going to scream at people. And then the umpire is going to be standing there and isn't even, imp- like, empowered to make the decision themselves. So that part feels mean, although I think we could probably train fans to be nicer to umps given an of time so that's probably a marginal concern <laughs> if fans become hip to the whole hey i'm getting angry at a machine thing then will there be a, like an extra dose of vitriol at the first and third base umpires on check swing calls because they can't oh, yeah. otherwise they like they have no other outlet for their anger it's just all like a fire hose just explodes on the first or third base umpire yep mm. i don't know terrible <laughs> I, i'll miss i will miss the less interaction between dugouts and umpires like i know it's a stressful situation but it is it does add to the drama of it in a way that yeah. i like so i'll miss that stuff too yeah i like the the nuanced arguing balls and strikes stuff like you know to the way you can do it without you know actually doing it and risk getting tossed right like, there are certain individuals who are very good at that there are yeah. coaches in minor league dugouts who are masterful at that and i if it's a machine then like i don't get that right <laughs> the guys who who have like a very established gradation between I'm just asking some questions. Right. I'm complimenting my pitcher on how nice the pitch was. Yeah, I'm just here to learn and uh <laughs> and be a good helper versus the, you know, I'm trying to think when I did my ejection taxonomy who the most aggressive ball and strike arguers were. Some of those guys aren't managing anymore. Like Bannister was very he was great. He went he went nuclear really fast. <laughs> Renteria is always good for for one of those. Does a lot of. I think he was the most ejected manager, in fact. So you know, you get a couple good shows. We're gonna miss all of that stuff. I have seen very red Rick Renteria. Oh my god. Well, and and Hurdle is just like you're like, oh buddy, that's just the color your face is. It's redder when you're yelling, but it's not that much redder. <laughs> you just exist on this continuum of tomato. <sighs> Sorry, Clint. He's okay. He, he, yeah, he's doing he's doing great. What do you think about this uh, moving the mound back business? Oh, I know you have some thoughts. You should share them with the people. Yeah, I think this is like this is just could have huge implications in a lot of for a lot of different reasons, and most of it like I have no idea. I cannot anticipate. But 
it just has been determined by a lot of front offices, it seems, that the approach angle of a pitch is an important thing. It's a meaningful thing as to like what is going on there, how hittable a pitch is. And so moving the mound back like kind of undoes like you have to relearn that stuff, which I suppose is it doesn't really matter to most people, but like that will all have to be redone. Mm-hmm. And then perceived velocity is a pretty significant Yeah. Like it moves the needle on guys that we write up for the for the prospect stuff. If you have big time extension, yeah, there are different things that play into it. Like, um, like certain limb length used to be a thing that I would look for at, as like a primary driver, but it really has more to do with like the, your bend, like in your back, how far forward your torso is, is actually what really generates extension. But what it does is like if like Tim Lindsay comes fastball. Tyler Glasnow's fastball, it's about two ticks of velocity. Like, it's two miles right. per hour extra perceived velo because of the extension. Obviously, like, Lincecum and Glasnow, like, they're both – they're getting there in different ways. One of them is just a huge guy uh, who's built like a pterodactyl, and the other is Tim Lincecum <laughs> and is, like, launching himself off the mound. And so, like, two feet of mound is about two – it's like two ticks of – four ticks – it's like four ticks of velo. Yeah. Perceived. So I think that could be like a really big deal. Like two feet is just too much to have done this. Yeah. I think you should – pitchers have just – have incentive to work up in the zone. And I think that what baseball is trying to do by moving the mound can just be done by trying to incentivize pitchers to work down. If you want like ball in play on the ground baseball, then pitchers should work there. But like – it has been found out with TrackMan and all this other stuff that like working up is actually what you want to do. And hitters are like, fine, I'm trying to hit, I'm trying to hit it, <laughs> the shit out of it, like right. at the top of the strike zone. So fine. And like all the activity is happening up there, or more and more of it is. And so, in my opinion, just adjusting the strike zone, maybe, or just finding some way to get everyone working at the bottom of it somehow is is better. Like that high, that chest high fastball. Guys should just not be enticed to swing at that. Like, they really shouldn't. But that's where pitchers are living, and it looks like it's hittable for a while, but, like, the hitters who are working up there, it's actually not. Like, it's just going to disappear. It's going to it's going to explode as it approaches <laughs> the plate, and it's just going to disappear up at your letters, and you're going to swing underneath it. So I don't. I think this is the problem that they're trying to fix with this, but I don't think this is the way to do it. Although it is, if you were going to force me to, like, change it in some way, this is the type of thing I would address is, like, all these strikeouts and home runs are happening at the top of the strike zone. Right. And if it's gross, if people don't like it, then like maybe let's figure out a way that where they'll want to be in at the bottom of the strike zone. So. Right. But it also seems like you could make those changes without um, them being quite as dramatic as this. Right. right. This is very dramatic. Two feet yeah. is an awful lot. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I hope we get a lot of pictures very early because it's just going to look – it's just going to look weird. I mean, think about how many years of baseball we've watched. It's going to look so freaking strange to have them out there. I don't know if I will like it. No. Yeah, and that's another thing, too. Like, what does your local high school team do? Does right. everyone move the mound back two feet if this becomes an eventual thing? Right. Yeah, I mean, all of this stuff, it won't trickle down to the amateur side immediately. But you would imagine that if it becomes the standard at the major league level that they're going to have to do 
they're going to have to do it if they, you know, are interested in their folks getting drafted or anything like that, right? Right, yeah, it would it would certainly be helpful. I mean, you know, it would have to be the SEC decides right. that their schools do this, you know, or NCAA baseball decides that, and then you've got the junior college stuff. Like, it would get very messy very quickly. Right. And do you think that there is – there would be something lost in having – like, baseball's dimensions are largely universal right, right. now. In Korea, in Japan – Having a drastic difference like this over here, like you're almost creating, there will be, there will probably be more situations where someone will be like, well, I can't succeed in MLB right. because you know, it would probably would not be like a huge amount of players, but there would probably be some individuals who they just, for whatever reason, change X makes them not a big leaguer when they could be really good in Japan. Yeah. So that will like pull talent away. You know, like their talent has just a reason to go somewhere else, potentially. I don't know. There's going to be unintended consequences, I think, is I yeah. think what we're trying to say. Well, and I just, I just don't know that enough time has been given to hitters to catch up, right? Like, Right. This is another good argument. Like just, you know, give, and not just hitters, but like give teams a minute to figure out a way to try to counteract some of the improvements that we've seen, some, you know, many of which have been aided by technology advances, like give it a minute to catch up a little bit because some of these changes are pretty fundamental and will be difficult to walk back. I mean, I think, you know, I talked about the transfer rule and how we can be nimble with these things and walk stuff back when we need to. But like once replay existed, we had to have replay because we knew, uh, you know, we had we had sort of made this thing knowable how how precise and how accurate these calls were. And you can't have a discrepancy between what fans at home are seeing and what, you know, teams are experiencing on the field. And you you can't walk it back. I think that once you implement a robozone, that's it. We have a robozone, right? right? The mound, I think, is a little more flexible because it's moved around up and down, back and forth. You know, like that has happened right. before. before. Yeah. But, you know, all of this all of this stuff has some amount of runway for teams in terms of them adapting to it and, you know, whipping guys' development around back and forth based on what you expect to be the major league environment when they actually get there. It isn't infinitely flexible. You know, right. it's like at some point you have to figure out, like, what kind of prospects you're developing, what kind of guys you're drafting, what you want those guys you've drafted to do and focus on when they're, you know, coming up. So, I don't know. Like I don't on the one hand, I think that it is appropriate like part of part of the league's job is to like fuss over the state of baseball and wonder if it's doing okay. And you don't want, you know, a problem to get so far down the road that it's not easy to correct, but I also think that there can be some you know, something kind of reactionary in doing this all at once because it it kind of gives this impression that there is a significant problem. It's like, let's try all this stuff and see what works and try to counteract things. And it's like, well, I think baseball is pretty okay. Like it was, you know, it's nice to not have to sit through a guy throwing four pitches to intentionally walk someone and mound visits make everyone crazy. But we don't have to do all of this stuff like with such urgency. Like if, you know, I don't know, give teams a minute to figure out what, thing they're gonna what camera they're gonna point right. at what guy to fix a thing and then it's like oh maybe this all just balances out on its own so i don't know yeah i agree with that it is incredible that science has essentially 
from the outside in changed the way baseball looks. Yeah. And so, like, kudos to the people who have been at the forefront of that because it is really amazing. I don't know. Has anything like this happened even in sports since someone decided to curve their hockey stick? Like, it is that type of thing. I'm I'm trying to think of – I'm trying to think of something as – monumental i mean like there's the sort of sport defining changes right like the forward pass being legal or you know overhand throwing motion being legal you know that kind the of stuff point shot but that wasn't like a th- that was a rule change yeah it wasn't right like a, something happening someone getting creative right i mean like sort of the players touching the monolith moment right i mean i guess that we probably just haven't seen it in football yet and it's coming Right, like football is going through its own analytics. Wide receiver glove. Oh, maybe that's a good one. Yeah, <laughs> but like Fred Blitnikoff, what's up? <laughs> maybe that's a good one. Catchers having gloves. I don't know, man. Like it's been a minute since we've had something kind of foundational like that. I don't know. I'm gonna want to watch some of those Atlantic League games. Can they? Bro- are they're not gonna broadcast them? That would be crazy. I don't know if any of the – I think some of the Atlantic League might be broadcast. I think, like, uh, the Sugar Land Skeeters might have a YouTube stream. That is fantastic. Or that the – yeah, I've, I'm not sure. What I really need to do is build another couple hours of baseball watching into my week every week. Yeah, there you go. I think <laughs> I fine. think Sugar Land Skeeters might actually be on Watch ESPN. I think they have been in the past. Okay, well – Yeah, so we will be able to see it. Yeah, I, w- I want at least one game. I want to be able to – play around with that please if i go into the northeast for draft stuff like oh yeah maybe the atlantic league will be i'll go to camden yeah watch a weird mound it's going to be disorienting i don't know that i will enjoy that i like a lot of weird crap in baseball but i think that that might be the sort of thing that just feels disquieting at least for the first couple innings it's like this just doesn't look right well don't know if i will like it well Probably won't see it in Major League Baseball for quite a while, but it is concerning that they seem keen to rush this stuff through so quickly. Yeah, but I understand. I understand. Yeah. The people don't, I don't know, you You are right at the very top where you're just like, yeah, we're probably not the people who have great wow. feel for whether or not. This is a problem. This is a problem. Yeah, it's like, yeah, okay, what do you got? Yeah, through, you're going to make every team employ, like, you have a chimp play one of your nine positions. Sure. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that would be a rule change I would definitely be in favor of, though. Chimps? <laughs> sure, why not? could definitely get words out of that. It's like, here is a very tall chimp. Let's see it pitch. We'll get whatever the baseball equivalent of, you know, them with typewriters typing out Shakespeare right. on accident. Yeah, eventually one of them will do, like, a Francisco Lindor thing at short. If you, like, let it t- hit hit fungos at it long enough, eventually yeah. they'll do a good thing. Yeah, sure, why not? Sure. Could be true. Strike out a major leaguer. Speaking of experimenting with chimps, the Houston Astros. (laughs) (laughs) No. No, that stuff is funny, though. Yeah. The everyone, yeah. I wonder. Yeah. I want to know, like, what percentage of the rumors are, do you think, self-generated versus. (laughs) Do we want, we probably don't want to speculate about that. No. Well, that's a good question. I think it's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that I don't know some of it. Some of it might be. I think that the if it were me, I think it was funny and would definitely lean into it. Yeah. So I have sympathy for that. 
point of view, I think I think it's safe to say that that is a thing I would do. <laughs> but some of it seems to be real. Like I do think that the, the team has. You know, I talked about this in the system overview a little bit. I guess we'll talk about it more here. It's just easier to do it. Verbally. Sure. But I do think that the, the, they their schemers they should be everybody in baseball is the Astros are just particularly good at it and have been right and I don't think all of it is great you know the Roberto Osuna like that's shrewd to try to do a thing like that but you know it's not the best real problems with that kind of stuff and then to like it's all on a spectrum right like so the firing scouts I don't like that either but like that's not. Those aren't the same things. No. But um, a lot of baseball doesn't like Houston. Like, this is just true. Yeah. Other parts of baseball don't like Houston uh, The for a lot of different reasons. People don't like the GM. He is not. Like, a lot of baseball people just don't like him. He's a consultant, yeah. you know? Yeah. And scouts are scared because they saw the team that's doing really well at this right now, like, decide, eh. We're going to get rid of, like, all these scouts. Yeah. And we're going to drastically change the way this looks. And obviously, like, if you looked at the stuff that The Ringer put up regarding old scouting reports and scouting staffs and they have a whole series on what scouting was like basically 20 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, competent scouting departments don't look like that anymore. I don't right. think any scouting department really looks like that anymore. So, like, you know, obsolescence aside, there are people who think that scout like scout to scout it's pretty inconsistent like what yeah. individuals are able to do and so let's try this super lean thing leaning heavy on technology a handful of scouts still but not nearly like very few and see if we can recreate it and some of it is cost driven which is also icky yeah in my opinion but some of it is just like efficiency of communication and like that sort of stuff, which I'm a little more sympathetic to. And like to their credit, it is working. Sure. Well, and you know, the cost part of it, I always find so. I think that this is an issue, makes it sound more serious, but like a, a strange facet of the way that baseball operates, which is like much of baseball can just be very strangely cheap in places where you would think that, you know, the marginal difference between employing a scout who makes $80,000 a year versus an analyst or whatever is small. But if that, you know, extra, however many, you know, tens of thousands gets you someone good in the first round so that you're not spending, you know, pool money, slot money on mm. a guy who has terrible makeup, who you then end up regretting, that seems like a good use of $80,000. Because you're going to sink, you know, $5 million into a draft pick in the first round or whatever. Right. And, like, indications are that Houston still does make up stuff at, like, you right. know, at least at the top of the draft. Right. So, yeah, it is, I don't know. It's yeah. obviously the initial foray into the whole thing was going to have some holes, right? Like, yeah. you just anytime you do a thing like that, you have bugs to work out. Yep. And so, yeah, like, the Edgertronic camera stuff, though that's... A regular thing in scouting and player dev for Houston hitters, pitchers, both. Uh, the high-speed camera stuff that gets sent to the office and broken down. So that stuff, you know, that's where that a lot of the scouting is happening for Houston. And I guess the thing that, I mean, so much of this is so interesting, like, because they have branched out. They've essentially taken the same principles and applied it to all these different 
departments, I guess, like on like competing on the big league field too, and using tech to get ahead in different ways. You know, some of that obviously what we saw last postseason where you know the guy was pointing that very expensive phone into the Red Sox dugout. That was going on, and like people around baseball really believe that. Houston has developed like a tactile, like a substance, like a thing you put on, pitchers put on their fingers and makes the, that like adds spin to the, to the baseball. Like it gives their pitchers a better grip on the baseball that they've like worked hard to find a mix of stuff that does this especially well. Like people really believe that happened and people believe that they cheat and like there are so many things and like not all of them are true. Like I know that they're not all true. And so how much of this is just, depending on how you want to describe it, jealousy or in some cases righteous human resource vitriol, you know, like the types of different types of levels of upset at Houston, it varies. Right. But like some of this is, is BS and it's hard to, for like me where I'm sitting to sift through what is and isn't BS because I want to know Yeah. because it's fun and also because... Some of it has to do with player dev and stuff. Yeah. So, like, if I someone tells me that the Astros are working on mind reading so that the hitters know what the pitcher or the catcher who maybe is, his mind is easier to read because he's closer physically, I don't know. <laughs> Perhaps that's where you go. Like Bold new frontiers. Yeah, like, <laughs> what do I, I have to do something with that. Like, I feel silly <laughs> texting someone with Houston and say, hey, hey. you guys done work with... ESP or mind reading or the occult like they don't they're gonna go you're not credible don't please don't call me and so like but some of the stuff I have to do that yeah you know the men who stare at goats stuff (laughs) and I'm now envisioning the water bottle with Michael's secret stuff from Space Jam just like in Astro's Colors Like, Jeff's secret stuff. There you go. That would be... They might... Maybe... Hold on. <laughs> Take someone. <laughs> no. But yeah, like, it is hard not to... You could see what happened to Alex Jones. Like, oh, really? All these, this is all happening? No. <laughs> no, no, it's no, not. Nobody. Nope. So, it's, it's an interesting org because... Yeah. They are at the forefront of all this stuff, and not all of it feels great, right. but they're doing really well. Yeah. And there was skepticism too, right? Because this regime came in, and the Brady-Aiken thing was a mess, but it yielded Bregman and Kyle Tucker. Yep. And the docking, you know, CLNL Perez had a $5 million deal, and then he took his physical, and then it became a $2 million deal, and, like, that's not great. His velocity has been fine as a pro. Like, that feels weird. Yep. So, like, there's just been a bunch of stuff, and... It's very fascinating, and I and I do think that their office is very talented. This, yeah. the, for someone who hasn't, they haven't really. Where have these guys come from? You know, like Forrest Whitley was a mid first rounder. Corbin Martin was a college reliever. JB Bukowskis, a lot of people thought should have been. I'm just reading off the Astros prospect list now. Josh yeah. James had added like three ticks of velo per year every year for three years, and now throws in the upper nineties. Sionel mm-hmm. Perez and Jordan Alvarez are two like they scouted Cubans well. That look, those guys look good, you know. This is good stuff. Yeah. So it's a great farm system, and it was a pain in the ass to write up and try to sift through all this pitching because there's a lot of it. Yeah, and a lot of it that 
looks kind of the same. Yeah. As you noted, there is a type that is strongly emerging here. Yeah, that's the other thing too. I guess we should talk about. What do you think about that? Like, because you and I have talked about this before. With yeah, if every pitcher that you are targeting in the draft kind of looks the same, and if they don't look the same, this high spin four seam or curveball type of guy, right? If they don't look like that now, you're going to change them into it. Like, do you think having only that type of pitcher could have an impact on how well like your staff plays as a whole? So I'm of two minds on this because on the one hand, my impulse is to say, yes, it eventually will have an impact, right? Because you're not varying the looks that you're giving hitters. But also I would imagine that if any front office is going to identify the effect that has amongst the noise, it would be this group. And so the degree to which they have, you know, sort of steered into the skid makes me think that maybe the impact isn't as significant as we think it's gonna be and you know they're it's not like the thing that they're picking is like oh actually we're just gonna get a bunch of guys who throw 91 and then show that a bunch of times so i don't know i don't know it seems strange to me that it it would seem strange to me that they would do this if they were concerned that it were going that it was going to have an sort of negative impact on things down the road. And like a lot of these guys end up being very valuable to the org, even if it's not on the mounds, like they churn out a bunch of dudes. Other teams want them. They're able to package those guys to go get other stuff that they want or need. So there's some some surprising versatility in that sameness, right? But I don't know. It's. It seems like if you were another very smart front office and you were trying to figure out a way to exploit these guys in a playoff series, that would be the first place that you would look, right? Like, let's figure out what the approach is for our guys against that look because they're going to see it, mm-hmm. you know, a million times this postseason. And if we can, then great. If not, then we can't. But I don't know. They just won a World Series and they still have a bunch of dudes who throw really hard and are really hard to square up and don't give guys comfortable at bat. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I guess this is like if my plan to incentivize more action in the bottom of the strike zone were hypothetically a thing, then a te- teams like Houston would have essentially like a biodiversity problem on their hand. Right, right. Because none of their guys do that. But no. if the goal is to trick the hitter yeah, and this type of pitcher is the best at doing it, and I guess the question is, could there possibly be diminishing returns if hitters see it enough? But like, that's just a thing that I don't know. Right, right, and that's the part I'm not sure of. If you're not varying, if you're not varying the looks at all, and it's not that they're not doing that. It's not like they actually throw the exact same pitch every time. But you would wonder if it gets easier to square up after a while. But seemingly not. <laughs> not so far. Like. These dudes are all really good, so I don't know. It's, I think, an interesting – it's another place where there's just a really interesting contrast between the approach that they're taking right. and pretty much every other system in baseball. Yeah. Like I wonder if in the seventh round Houston looks at a pitcher like Dallas Keuchel was in 2009 and is just like, no, like that's yeah. not what we do. Yeah. It's just an interesting question. And like as you noted, you know – there is it's a copycat league and as much you know dismay or resentment or just jealousy or legitimate philosophical difference as is emerging you know you have to wonder how long they're able to continue to do this because other teams are going to look around and say well like 
you know, it can't be, the secret stuff can't be that secret. Surely we can crack this. And then, you know, it becomes a matter of, do they focus on trying to convert dudes who don't look like this yet into something that looks more like a typical Houston Astro? Or do they find another thing while everyone goes and chases dudes who can, you know, throw that same curveball? So that's yeah. a thing that I'm going to be really curious to look at over the next couple of years. And I will be watching what to see what Baltimore and Atlanta do. Right. Because <laughs> right. that's now those front offices have influence from like direct from Houston. So right. we should expect to see some similar stuff. Yeah. And if like teams are behind and are trying to triangulate, you know, what it is Houston is doing, because there's no other way to figure whatever individual thing out. And like they should be looking at Baltimore and Atlanta now too. Yep. It's true. Did you enjoy having all of Fangraphs uh in your in your locale? I did, yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, it was good. I mean, you know, other than the traffic. Yeah. Sorry, we brought that. It's because everyone wanted to come to the meetup. That's yeah. the real reason for the traffic. It was good. I like it. I like it here. I like to show off the parts of it that are that are good. Mm-hmm. People did baseball games. Yeah. People schlubbed to Grand Canyon to watch Illinois and Grand Canyon. Yes. And the next day, people voluntarily went to an ASU game. Yes, we did do that. And so, like, yeah, that's it. Was cool to have everybody around. Like it always is. It's, it's good to have. It's good to have everyone around. Yeah, it's a good it's a good time at Grand Canyon. I think Jay Jaffe in particular was <laughs> delighted by the names that are present on the Grand Canyon roster. Yeah. So so that's always good and fun. The yeah, the college baseball names if you are entertained by amusing sounding sports names, college baseball is should be your primary wealth, the wealth from which you draw. Yeah. And Grand Canyon is just a deep, <laughs> full well of Kona Quiggle and... Kona Quiggle. Pekai Winchester. Yes. And Quinn Cotton and like all sorts of... They're great. Yeah. Cuba Bess. Terrific. <laughs> Fantastic. Antoine Mystico was my favorite one, but he transferred, so he's not on the team anymore. Anton. I did like Antoine Mystico. Letting us down. CJ Schauwecker. Terrific. He's a, fre- he's a freshman, like big first baseman with power, like a good local high school hitter who went to this school. So yeah, we had a good time. Yes. There were cheerleaders at GCU, which I was yeah. mostly confused by. I don't know that I've ever seen. I mean, I guess there are some major league teams that have, they are not cheerleaders technically, but they do like cheerleader adjacent activity right the promotions people is what yeah we call that was the promotions department while i was with the iron pigs it was the people who stood on the dugouts and threw t-shirts and encouraged people to dance poorly mm-hmm. and yeah they just at grand canyon it's it's the same group of girls who are like the basketball team cheerleaders i think yeah mm. Mm. they cheer at the various at various sports the Grand Canyon PA guy is a delight, and I am not being sarcastic no, when yeah. I when I say that, which people would be forgiven for assuming. But uh, we got to witness him announcing a, a contest for a fan, and then very gently ribbing her terrible trivia answers. So that was delightful. Enjoyed that very much. I didn't see I didn't see any trivia at ASU. They they went a different way in their promo stuff. Yeah. Well, answer. 
Never mind. Just insert obvious ASU joke here. <laughs> they the way they did it is, you know, they want to engage with players and so they put stuff up on the video board where yes. the players are looking at baby pictures of their teammates or Hunter Bishop is bragging about how good a dancer he is. Right, right like that kind so, of stuff. Some nonsense. So that's what they did. What did you think about the I mean the facility at ASU? It's incredible. Yeah. Although and Grand the, Canyons the, too. Yeah, I was going to say that that ballpark at Grand Canyon, which is yeah, it's brand, new. brand new, very, very nice. But yeah, the, the ASU ballpark, and it was a spring training facility, right? At right, it was a, yes, it was the home of the A's, and I want to say the White Sox for a while too. Like when I first started coming to Arizona for Fall League, it was a, it was a Fall League stadium. Well, as someone who has been to the Coliseum and has affection for that that ballpark, even though it is, uh, you know, as advertised in terms of the quality of the facility, that ASU ballpark is nicer than the Coliseum. Yeah. Uh, so it's like big. There's a lot of there's a lot of land occupied by mm-hmm. the uh, by the stadium itself. But uh, but yeah, the facility is nice. ASU is very lucky, and they've taken good care of it since it turned over. I never went to a game at the old Packard Stadium where like Barry Bonds and Reggie Jackson. Yeah. Playing stuff. It is still there. It is still on the southwest corner of the Rio Salado Parkway and a rural and rural road. <laughs> uh, but um, but I've never been in there. And I'd like to steal some of the signage though. So if there are any enterprising college kids at ASU who listen to the <laughs> podcast, uh, I'm getting too old to do that stuff. So, <laughs> but I a sun devil like a little wooden sun devil or something would be pretty cool. <laughs> The Sun Devil guy, the the mascot, is terrifying. Oh, Sparky? Yeah, do not endorse. Yeah, Sparky's kind of weird. I can't believe they bring that around children. Like, it is, he is, he's demonic on purpose, but uh, it's intense. It's an intense look. I was surprised that that they leaned so heavily into, into that. Yeah. I like Sparky. There's a toolsier, like more athletic Sparky that is my preferred oh. Sparky. Yeah, like there are definitely there are multiple Sparkies. Well, sure. It's not unless someone's weight is fluctuate fluctuating <laughs> uh, in a oh, way that is like no. very concerning. So unless unless Sparky has a thyroid issue, I know for certain that there are multiple mooses, uh, yeah. mariners oh, yeah. mooses, and there is a person who works for the promo department whose job it is to make sure they never cross paths at Safeco because it would be upsetting oh, yeah. to, to the children. Yeah. So. Hold on. I'm going to send that idea to David Lynch for <laughs> Moose Doppelgangers. Okay. Finally get the baseball movie we've wanted. Yeah. <laughs> the Moose from the Red Room. What was? What kind of mascot is that? Oh, God. <laughs> Definitely not something you can take around children. <laughs> yeah, I guess it would like murder them and stuff. <laughs> very, very murder focused. But... Yeah, the retreat was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to be clear, no one was murdered. There were no deaths on the Fangrass trip, but we, <laughs> I don't know. Except for the one the one bug. Oh, yeah. Ah! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, there was a, a, a moment of driving where, you know, various important members of the Fangraph staff were all in one car and we became concerned that uh, we just wouldn't make it 
as a site and you all would have to soldier on. Yeah. All your readers would have to just mourn the loss of several prominent members of the staff. But it just ended up being a bug. So it was okay. Because of the, the like, my driver's license doesn't expire until well, I'm looking now. <laughs> okay, I'm not lying to listeners when I say this. My driver's license expires December 6th, 2053. What? That's the next, yes. So everyone on the road in Arizona, like, your driver's license does not expire forever. It is not a good place to drive. <laughs> that seems like a very dangerous plan in a place that is famous for retirees. Right. No offense to our older listeners. I'm sure all oh. terrific drivers, but come on. maybe not the ones who live in Arizona. It's I like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> No, it's okay. No. Like, I know I have a buddy who should not be driving. <laughs> uh, he is too uh, old. But his license has not expired. So very concerning. He's still going at it. But yeah, like, it is a thing here. So we were at real risk of, of that. Even yeah. if we were only moving like five miles an hour for a huge yeah. stretch. Yeah. When you, when you look around the car and both of your prospect analysts and your managing editor are there... And people are driving like maniacs. You you wonder you wonder how things would go. <laughs> what what did, was your takeaway from a week of live baseball after being cooped up for several months? My takeaway was that Rob Manfred is right about one thing. He's right about a couple of things, but like the, he he had some comments this off season that people found to be bad and sassy, and I found some of them to be bad and sassy. But on this score, he was right, which is that. You know, a lot of the the discourse and like the stuff that exists in the baseball ecosystem that we have all found very prickly and concerning and troubling in terms of the health of the sport and its future, you just forget. You just forget that stuff when you get to sit down and watch baseball. And so he is right that like a lot of the off-season stuff is not going to stay, I think, with average fans once once games really start in earnest and you know it's already happening with spring training where it's like when you get to sit outside and feel warm and hear that sound you know that wooden bat sound it like probably not for everyone I'm sure that there are a lot of people who like baseball who have perhaps a healthier relationship with the sport than I do but like it, it can change your whole mood yeah, it can change like your whole mood as a human being, not just as a person who's like watching entertainment for a couple of hours. So that part was really great. <laughs> I liked when Fremel Reyes hit the ball really far. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like we you're give sitting. Our listeners everything. Yeah, like <laughs> you know, you're sitting there watching guys, and you're like, wow, this is gonna, this is gonna play. That's really exciting. Uh, you and I had a day where we basically saw the entire Mariners org in an afternoon. Yeah, that was good. That was good. I mean, some of it was better than other bits of it in terms of the the quality of the play. But like, you know, I've been I've been wanting to watch Julio Rodriguez play baseball for a little while now, and so getting to watch him do that and seeing like oh, how exactly. big that guy is in like a good athletic way was pretty cool it's like oh yeah so this linebacker plays baseball for my favorite baseball team now that's neat yeah he's <laughs> yeah he's a he's a large young man yeah and he can really move and yep. he is very exciting yeah watching i got closer to ichiro than i've ever been yeah in that backfield yeah how was ichiro for you <sighs> great yeah ichiro looks great yeah 
Do I really love it? He, um, if you, if listeners want to watch, I have Justice Sheffield's entire, th- what was it, three innings of intra-squad yeah. against, you know, among others, Ichiro. And, like, he strikes Ichiro out, and, and Sheffield preened a little bit after he did, and then uh, Ichiro squared his ass up. Yep. Uh, and his next at bat, and, um, like, you can see Justice Sheffield react to that as well. Yeah. In a way that is, like, humbling and respectful. Yeah. And yeah. so, like, this is the sort of thing that you don't, if you're in a stadium, like, you just don't get to see. But when you're at the very front of the backstop, like, with your face pressed against the chain link fence, you get to see all that stuff. Yeah. And that's, like, where the camera was for that. Like, it just... Yep. So, yeah, that's been a lot of fun. And then uh, we got to see Cal Raleigh. Yeah. Who was a highly sought-after catching prospect in last year's draft who played pretty well in big league games like a switch hitting catcher with power and better like he's he can frame like the framing stuff is good even though it's like sort of a non-traditional athletic fit right back there like he's a large dude for a catcher yeah he's big oh that thing we also saw on the other field we like didn't see it but i'm pretty sure it's the largest pitcher catcher battery that Certainly that you and I have ever seen and we think that maybe existed, has ever existed maybe? It was, so, you know, it was prominent enough we were not standing there anymore. But, like, you could gauge the hugeness from <laughs> from the next field over. Yeah. yeah, I think it had to have been, it has to have been one of the biggest, if not the biggest. So it was Brian Howard, the A's righty from TCU, who's like 6'9". And Jonah Heim, the catcher, who's like six six, yeah, uh, he's like up in Matt Weeder's sort of territory as far as size goes, and there has to have been like a Randy Johnson and someone, right? Some things like at some point, someone who was six four, whatever, and the unit or like Loic Van Mill or somebody that had to have happened. But like at least as far as I've seen, this is this is probably this is close. Yeah, that dude was huge. So that's just like one of those weird things. Yeah. I love weird things. <laughs> then we saw, you got to see Kikuchi. I saw two consecutive Kikuchi outings when we went to see Kikuchi on Thursday night. Right. So, yeah, got to see Kikuchi. Got to have a couple of scary moments where it looked like he might be hurt. It's fine. Yes. <laughs> Worked out fine. It's like, oh, this is going to be great. Got to watch Yasiel Puig in Red's Red. Looked great. Yasiel's fun. What else did we get to see? We got to see uh, Omar Narvaez hit a home run, which he will probably do a lot of. Got to see him be very uh, limited in his range of movement behind home. We got to we watched Jose Siri meltdown. Yes, we did. <laughs> uh, I love Jose Siri. He's, yeah, you know, center fielder in the red system, hyper talented. It's it's all the stuff, and just you know. He's a, kind of a strange, angry young dude. Yeah. Kind of has gotten in his own way a whole lot and does not always, like the instincts, the baseball instincts are not always there. Yeah. And so, yeah, a very dramatic soap opera of of an adventure in center field over a couple of balls in play, you know, one bat at bat and two, and one bat hop in center field and like everything just kind of came crashing down Yeah. Uh, on a big league field in front of everybody. Yeah. So that was fascinating too, but like I am rooting for Yeah. I am rooting for that one. Yeah. Would be nice to get the head screwed on a little straighter. 
What else do we watch? We we have discovered that the 2019 Texas Rangers are probably an all-time oh that guy uh-huh. uh, yeah. team. I think I said that maybe what eight times over the course of it was a lot. <laughs> not even nine innings. Uh, should so we, should we recount who you? I mean, I did it too. Danny Santana. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's right. Like, right. Danny Santana was this, like, looked like a pretty interesting super utility piece a couple of years ago. And now it's like, oh, he's on Texas. Yep. You had, to, you had a moment with Jesse Chavez. Oh, yeah. Definitely had a moment with him. We're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to cheat a little bit and remind myself because there were a couple on here where I was like, wow. I mean, clearly this is not surprising because this was a thing they did on purpose. You know, Lance Lynn is there. Apparently he's tight with Rob and Rex Ryan. Yes, I'm so glad you're, they were there. Rob and Rex Ryan were at the Rangers-Rockies game. They were in matching Lynn jerseys. They looked like themselves. We did not immediately notice Rex, and then there he was. It was a perfect moment that I was unable to capture on film, and I am devastated by that fact, but it it is still true. You know, like uh, Hunter Pence. Right, like remembering that, oh yeah, like that is the thing that happened. Yeah. We're going to watch this, try, like him try to do this thing. Yeah. Chase Darno. Yeah. Yeah, just like a bunch of these utility type guys. And yeah. just like, yeah, that's, I totally forgot. Like this is what Texas is kind of piecing together. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Logan Forsyth mm-hmm. on that team. Ben Revere. Yeah, there's another one. Yep. In fact, the non-roster invitees in the outfield are Hunter Pence, Ben Revere, and Danny Santana. And it is just an all-time, oh, that guy. Oh, that guy. There you are. Look at you doing something. Ooh. Kylie just tweeted from a junior college game, and it looks like Jackson Rutledge is throwing really hard, so that's exciting. That was exciting. Oh, Kylie's boy. in Texas as we're recording this. Yeah. He's, seeing, he's out there seeing uh, draft stuff. Yep. Had a, had a draft update. This week that people should uh, should definitely go read. Yeah, it's getting to be that time where it's like, yeah. okay, it's we're two weeks away from April. You know, like yeah. some of the everyone is is about to we should have eyes on everyone at some point. You know, like the Northeast stuff still hasn't started in like the Midwest and Northeast, and we'll be ending. You know, I have I've got a month and a half to see some West Coast high schoolers before they're yeah. done, and that's it. And other places hasn't even started. Yep. So. It's just that that time. Very exciting. It is exciting. I this class is very exciting. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, we went an hour and ten minutes. Exciting. Exciting. Everything's exciting. Well, we can probably call it. We okay. will not. We will not abuse people's time or ears longer than we have. What do we got coming up on the prospect side? We're gonna have a we're gonna have a speaking of the Texas Rangers, we will have a Texas Rangers list. Yep. At some point here, as we stare down the, the end of list season. You will be writing a positional power ranking uh-huh. in the next week. Everyone should right. should get excited about the positional power rankings coming soon to fangraphs.com. Those will kick off on Monday. People will probably listen to this episode before that comes around. You're going to be writing about left fielders. That'll be fun. So people should uh, go read that. We will remind people to go follow the Fangraphs Prospect account on Twitter to get cool, exciting updates from 
Kylie and Eric as they get ready for draft prep and also see minor leaguers. And uh, we will also draw people's attention to the revamped prospect board, which is just the coolest thing there's ever been. People should go check out the new scouting plus stats exclamation point swirl board, which brings together all of our uh, scouting stuff, but also uh, melds it with stats. And then our, our newly revamped minor league leaderboards, which allow for all kinds of cool custom report building and aggregation and filtering, which uh, I feel comfortable saying people literally can't get anywhere else but Fangraphs.com, so they should go look at that stuff. Yes, very excited. All the, Everything Fangraphs.com slash prospects is like, if you just go there, all yeah. the stuff that Meg just talked about, you can find through that portal. Yeah. Twitter account. Uh, like the recent video that we've posted it's all on there yeah so people should go check that out and in the meantime uh, continue to read other good words uh, from, from you Eric thank you for joining me thank you for having me